It's raining in the pubs. Meantime. All right, golf nerds. Welcome once again to another edition of Swing Thoughts. It's great to be with you. Brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas. And uh, Timony and I, Timony and I, Timony and I are finally face to face. Yes, Howie. For the first time, Timony, Timony Cricket, and uh, and myself. Uh, I can't remember last time we did this together. Like, well, we we we've had you know lunch and stuff. We just haven't recorded it. No, we didn't record lunch. No, there's too much noise for lunch. Yeah. Although I will say this, you were you're wearing the same sweater you were wearing when we had lunch. It's my only sweater. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you came in this morning, I'm like, I like that sweater. I'm so jealous because we had a chance to order the same stuff from Adidas. And I was like, oh, it's so funny. We got all this great stuff for free. Right. And we really appreciated it. But it's so funny. As soon as I saw you, I'm like, why didn't I order that? Why didn't I get a cool sweater? And I got my uh, Adidas stuff on today. Because um, yeah. I want to do this today. We're, we have a, a special series of interviews, and I think just like we do it on the Humble and Fred show, we should take pictures yeah. of our guests, mm-hmm. post them to our Facebook page, just like real boys. That'd be fun. Like social media. Th- that's it. Uh, so shall I have brought like three different outfits? So I didn't nah, that's fine. Of all the you could, <laughs> maybe we could do this. In one picture, you wear your sweater, and the next one, I wear it, and in the last one, we're both wearing it. Um, That'd we, be weird. Uh, That'd be weird. Oh, we've got, how are you doing? You all right? I'm great. Thanks I'm, for coming in. All the way from Guelpaha. Timmy from Guelpaha. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Of course, that's the voice of Tim O'Connor. He's the um, mental performance coach for the Glen Abbey Academy. Also, uh, got a nice business going on his own, a, a wonderful writer. And the O'Connor uh, E-Zine, I've been reading it, you know, very well done. Thank you. Uh, of course, uh, myself, golf spiritual leader and uh, host of the Humble and Fred program, now heard on Canada's comedy Superstation out of Hamilton and uh, downloaded every day at humbleandfredradio.com. Now, kids, um, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, although full disclosure, we're, we're recording them all at the same time on a, on a Saturday in November. Have I told you that I'm not really a big November fan? You oh, know? Neither, neither am I. It's, it's, it's mostly dark. It's mostly dark. Thank that's, you. That's always when I would have my nervous breakdown in university from oh, yeah? the exams and the essays that I hadn't written. And November, yeah, tough month. You know, I love people. Who's, I, we were talking about this on the uh, Humble and Fred show a couple of days ago. We're saying, oh, you know, people go, I love fall. I love fall. Well, you know, the people who say that, it's that three or four days in October where it's warm enough to wear shorts. The leaves are just changing. They don't love this fall where it's like <laughs> windy every day, cold. It's like the season of death. The leaves are falling off the trees. It just looks. And you know what? It was almost sunny. Almost sunny today. A mere glimmer. A mere glimmer. And then it goes away. And then it's done. And then it's just more drab and gray. So what we're, we're just, bright and shiny this morning. We are. Because we're excited because we, we have are. a guest here. And but before we get to him, I just want to explain. So we're going to do a series of uh, conversations with people that we like in the golf business. And talking about, um, you know, kind of what we like to talk about. The mental side of the game and how it relates to the physical. And, uh, and we're excited that we've lined up. We think three great teachers, three great guys. Uh, I was thinking, you know, you've worked with uh, Evershed. Oh, yeah. And uh, you've hit balls with Casey. Yep. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, worked with our first guest. Uh, I- I've been lucky enough to uh, have been guided by all three. And um, I'm just excited to get their perspective. And I've been asking uh, our first guest for, for some time if he would ever come in and, and, and talk about the game. Because he knows that I'm, you know probably more obsessed than most people he's run into. He is the uh, head coach of the uh, Humber, the very successful Humber College Hawks, Humber Hawks as they're known. He's the 2017 OCAA, OCAA, Coach of the Year. Oh. Yes. And uh, and a very fine player in his own right. Every once in a while we play together and, uh, you know, I try and see if I can hit it somewhere near as far as him. Although he's got this other gear that is pretty remarkable. A very good guy, uh, Nick Trachilio. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Trachilio. <laughs> Trachilio. That's pretty good. You know, it's funny because I, 
I've known you now a couple of years, I've, and I said this to Tim Southcott, another friend of ours. I'm like, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce his name. <laughs> what do you think by now? <laughs> Most people aren't. No, it's Trachillo, is it? Trachillo. 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 Yeah. Nice. How are you, kid? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Yeah. And thanks for coming in. Thanks yeah. for having me. Appreciate it. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, your golf journey. Uh, how you did you, you were, did you want to be a pro at one point? Did you want to play professionally? Because I know you're a very good player. Um, yeah, well, I grew up playing hockey, probably like most Canadian boys. Mm-hmm. So I played Junior A. Um, ah, yeah. where? Where'd you play? Uh, for the Junior Rangers. Played, cool. played with Caps for a little bit. Or, yeah, And then, uh, yeah, got traded around a little bit. Don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, started. So I didn't really start playing my professional career a little later. So I didn't really start playing tournaments till about 18. I didn't have that young junior career, which I wish I had. Because mm-hmm. I was playing was more into hockey then. And then... Uh, yeah, made the Humber team, but decided to turn pro anyways when I went back to college and played pro since then. I think I turned pro at 22, after really starting around 18, won a couple of pro-ams and that sort of thing. No no big wins or anything like that. But So yeah. as a player, you're obviously interested in the game. When did you decide that maybe what you'd like to do is spend your life teaching and coaching others? Uh, probably from the start, like once I, once I went back to school at Humber College and got into it and I was helping guys on the team back then because, like I said, I made the team, but then I turned pro and you can't play as your pro. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, since then I started helping out right after I graduated. I graduated in 2003 at the at the Humber program. In 2004, I was helping um, Ray Chateau, who's the head coach, but I was more of a swing coach in the swing lab. So I've been sort of a swing coach since 2004 and kind of took it from there. Right? Was so the swing... Well, was the swing always something that was of a real fascination to you? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, in, in college so I go through and I question everything, right? So you read all these books, and as you guys know, a lot of them are contradictory to each other. And oh yeah, all the tips, and you read it in Golf Digest, and one page can say one thing, and the next page could say the exact opposite. And so I was wondering what's going on. So I researched everything, and that's that's kind of my background. And I had a background in biomechanics, so I know the biomechanics swings. Howard knows we go through many things. So, yeah, I just researched everything, went through it. That's my personality. It was like a problem I needed to solve and uh, worked through and found, you know, there's many ways to play this game and how it kind of works and, and go from there. So that's what intrigues me. You know, it's interesting that Nick talked about the contradictory nature of golf instruction. My dad was the first person that instructed me, and my father was never a really accomplished player, like a single digit, somewhere like an 8-9 handicap, but he was really into instruction and really into the, the mechanics of golf. And I remember in the back of his store in like the early 70s, and there was the cover of Golf Digest, and it was How to Cure Your Slice. And then like 40 <laughs> years later, I'm at the airport a couple months ago, How to Cure Your Slice. I thought, you know, if anything else... In medicine and science and technology was still trying to be cured 40 years later. It's it's just because of, as you say, the contradictory nature of of the mechanical motion and people's perception of it. And how, but how different is it than uh, being in the checkout line at the grocery store? And you know, now there's a different way to lose weight. That's, right. That's way better than the way that there was, uh, say, three months ago. No, never mind that. This is the new way. The, the pounds would just fall off you. <laughs> but as you were saying, too, like, it's, it's, a, it's a fascination that there's so much contradictory information. And so you, you were starting out by researching it yourself. How do you make, how do you make that real for somebody you're, t- you're telling, you're teaching? Oh, so for each different student, how we make it real? Or well, how, do you, how did you decide, okay, here's what I'm going to, here's what I believe and here's what I'm going to tell people. Here's what I'm going to teach people. Well, it depends on the person too. Like, there's not there's not just one way to play this game. So I look and see what people do. There's in golf, there's preferences, right? And then there's, there's certain swing mechanics that everyone needs. And then in there, there's you have your swing principles, and then you have preferences. So within these principles, there's different ways to do it. So for example, Tiger, um, he moves off the ball. He's very linear when he swings, right? And his buddy Mark O'Meara was, is very round, right? Like Lee right. Westwood, Darren Clark, they're more rotational because they're bigger, upper barrel-chested guys. They're big. They're going to swing better that way. That's how they learn to play. You're not going to teach Darren Clark to swing like VJ and Tiger or more linear off the ball, right? So um, there's, there's two different ways. They're slightly different of how they're going to hit and work, and this is their nature of doing it and how to do it. So um, you look at what the student's doing, what's what they're good at, What's their initial instinct at the ball? So just like a flat swing or an upright swing, I'm more flat. I always look at their initial move towards the ball because that's their instinctive move. So someone that's flat, if they're coming towards the ball, 
they're always going to do that. So to get them upright, they'll always be over the top and get back to your cure the slice thing. Mm. So someone that gets that gets to the top of the swing and drops their hands low, uh, one of the good players I coach that uh, plays professionally, he always gets flat, but he drops it inside, so he gets way too far inside. So we need to get him more upright. For someone like Matt Kuchar, needs to stay flat because his first initial attack of the ball goes towards the ball. He doesn't drop down. So I look. you got to look at who does what well and how they're going to do, and to change their instinctive move is tough. It's like a two-year process, and are they going to get better in the end from it, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's, so there's many gonna, factors. Ask Tim, like, do you find that it would be similar in people's mental approach? Like there are certain personality types you know, some people are, you know, better when they get angry. Some people are better when they're placid. I mean, it would be similar. Like you have to sort of like, I would, I'm assume you would assess the person's, the way they are and then trying to work with them within that. It's always, it's, it's much the same as what Nick was talking about. What's instinctive? What is just their way of navigating through the world and just what comes natural to them? Because most people don't change. They yeah. don't. They don't change really. You can you can guide them a little bit and you can move it a little bit, but in terms of particularly the personality, we have a way of of being. So, like you said, someone say they're in a funk on the golf course. They they use anger to get themselves back in, maybe sharpen their focus. Another person, it might just be to be more reflective. So, as a as a coach in the mental area, it's more me just drawing out what are they like naturally. And working with that, so from an awareness standpoint, so I want to just kind of sh- shift it a little bit back to to Nick in terms of how do you a lot a lot of people come to instruction or ways of doing things with a belief system, particularly older adults. How do you deal with that when you start talking with them and they and they, they start giving you kind of feedbacks if they were the instructor around belief systems? So how do you work with that? Uh, well, depends. Like, what in particular are you talking about? Well, sometimes you could say to someone, "This is, you know, I want you to try this p- partner," and they go, "Well, no, isn't it? Aren't you supposed to do this? You're tr- supposed to turn your left hip." A lot of people have very rigid beliefs about how they're supposed to swing. Yeah, and then it depends on the person again as well. So if they're analytical, we can, they'll want to discuss it, right? So we're going to sit down and talk to them. Some guys are point and shoot, right? And uh, and I work with trackmen a lot too, which is great. So if you're um, it's it's really good to be able to show the feedback to the person. So look, when you do it this way, this is what's happening. And then when you do this change, you can see how the numbers are getting better. Usually they're not going to hit a great rate away because they're learning a new motor pattern. Right. And that's a whole other thing you got to get through to them afterwards, right? Like most people um, think conceptualizing it is enough. But once you understand it, doesn't mean you can actually do it. And we can show it again over video, video, video. They think they're doing it. They're not doing it yet. I mean, Howard, we've gone over this a, little, a lot when you're when you're trying to learn a new motor pattern it takes a little while before you kind of get that synopsis before you make that connection to be able to make that motor change right so, well if i may interject yeah. there it's it's similar in the physical realm as it is in the mental realm about about building new myelin and new connective tissues in the brain mentally and physically and uh i, I love what you just said about you know sometimes people be and, and that's what's so great about golf is like you'll be with, with a buddy on the range and he'll say hey you know you're you know i love listening to other guys teach other guys oh yeah i just think it's hilarious but they think they can get it like if you tell if like if some guy's next to his buddy he's like okay you're just coming too far from the inside or something they go okay now i've got it and i always laugh i'm like dude it takes thousands of reps to get anything both uh as a mental exercise into you know like i remember when i first started working with doolin this 2014 he said you know there you're gonna pass through phases of conscious unconscious you know conscious uh, competence until you start doing things in the mental realm just becomes part of your routine uh when carl morris first told us that you know that box about you know the 10 foot the 10 steps like you you, you can think about the uh, shot and then 10 steps later or whatever it was you have to stop right there's the play box the think box well you got to do that a bunch of times you can't just learn it as a concept and now i have it and it's the same as you as you've instructed me and others to to change a motor pattern takes some time it takes time for it to sink in and that's why i think what you do and, and others is just very frustrating, I think, in a way, because, you know, not everyone gets that. But that, yeah, no, Well, definitely. that gets that it takes time. You got to put in the time. Yeah. You got to get the reps in. Yeah, got to get the reps in. They don't even know motor skill learning. Everybody's a little bit different, but it's a few thousand reps before you kind of own it, right? And there's lots of hours, like you're saying, myelin. So at first, when you're first learning it, it's kind of like driving down 
taking your car across an open field, right? The road's kind of bumpy. You can't drive too quick. And then after you get the reps in, it's sort of get tire tracks in there. Yeah. You sort of turn it into a road, and then eventually it'll be a highway, right? Like, and that's that motor pattern, trying to get those the neural message to the muscles to fire in that order, right? And it takes reps, reps, reps. And then you're talking about myelin, which is under pressure as you do it more and more. That tube gets insulated. You can fire faster, and it's your default. And if someone's been doing something for 20 years, their old ways, like a highway, they want to run that pattern, that motor pattern, over and over again, and that's not going to work. Right? Unconsciously. So, yeah, unconsciously. That's yeah. the lane of least resistance to drive down the field where the road's bumpy is not something they really want to do, especially under pressure. Right? Well, that's human nature. Pa- pain avoidance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is really what we're all about. Mine. You know, and I, and I think it's the same in the mental side of the game that, absolutely, you know, it, it takes you a while to to build the kind of patterns where under pressure you don't default to how you always did things. You know, and I know that as I've gotten better physically and put some of the things that I've worked on mentally into practice, it's still, it's still not completely unconscious. I have to think about, you know, what is what I'm what I'm going to be looking to do today. But some, I've noticed that even in, in my golf swing, some parts have now become a little bit more unconscious. And it's taken, well, it's taken quite a while. Yeah. Well, that's why you love the sport, right? That's why everybody loves the sport. Yeah. Right? Like, everybody comes into it. Any other sport, the, you get athletes, top athletes of other, in other professions, they all come to golf because to hit that perfect shot is a really tough thing to do. Right? And it's rewarding when you do. So it's a journey. I think we're all in this together. It's a journey. You push yourself, you work harder, and you get better. But it's, and I don't think it's frustrating. I think you do get better pretty quickly. If you're, if you're doing the right things properly in the right order and doing the time, you get better. You've seen it at Glenn Karen. Guys get better, right? Yeah. have gotten a lot better pretty quick. I've had one guy come into Humber College. He has a transfer over. He was an international Asian student who came in. His first time hitting a ball, he, hit, he almost hit the camera dead straight. He shanked it dead straight across the wall. There's a, there's a dimple mark in the drywall that's still there today, even though we've moved labs, but still at the other, oh, other campus. Great. And in three years, he got his card. Wow. Right? Like he was, and I don't, I don't think he had a handicap when he came in. I don't know if he hit any golf balls for real before he came in. And in three years, he's, he's a member of the PGA Canada, right? So now he worked at it every week. We worked at it, right? And he he was willing to put the time well, in. Well, I was going to say, that just yeah. shows you that, yeah. no, no no offense to the old PGA Tour slogan, yeah. anything is possible. I, I've always believed that anybody can learn anything if you put yourself in the right circumstances, give yourself the right opportunity. Well, I see that people... Unfortunately, golfers and all different parts of life, they get off track so easy because we, they get bombarded with information, but also a lot of their own instincts. Oh, I'm going to try this. It's always going to the new shiny thing. So you, you use the word we in context with this player that you worked with. So how important is it to have a coach, someone who can keep you on track rather than going off the main road because something looks neat and shiny and they're going to try this? How important is it to have a coach to keep you on that track? Uh, I think it's very important. I mean, the PGA Tour guys, almost every one of them has a coach, right? They're not reinventing the wheel. They're just keeping them on track, right? So it's if your perfect swing was a straight line on a graph, right? What happens is people, if they veer to the right a little bit, the coach is there to kind of bring them back to the line. And usually what happens when they're learning is then they start going too far left. They get that new right. feeling. They start to overdo it. <laughs> and now they're on the other side of that line. And we bring them back again. And it, without a coach, they end up going too far one way. Or, you know, sometimes I won't see a guy for two months. He's going out. He's playing on these mini events, mini tours. And he comes back and see me. He's gone completely the other way. And he's trying to do it even more, you know. And it's and, and golf's just a funny thing like that. And also even just for aiming. Like a lot of guys I'll see, they leave me. They go play in the mini tours, they're aiming perfectly square or what's square to them. Some guys will be 10 degrees open. Right. A lot of guys are perfectly square. Some of my guys, hardly any are closed. Some are variance degrees open at a high level. And and I keep that in mind and know that's where they play their best, right? And then when I come back, all of a sudden they're aiming 40 yards right. They think they're square, right? They haven't been using alignment sticks. Like perception's even a funny thing. No, right? absolutely. Yeah. I kind of wanted to bring this together um, from the mental perspective and the physical coaching perspective because I know you do a little bit of both, uh, quite a lot of both. With, with younger players versus older players, do you find younger players – easier more malleable more open or am i wrong are, are older guys sometimes you know better students because they're this is what they, they've been bad for so long they just want to get better what is it for you uh, well i've had both so both in the spe- i think it's yeah. more their personality because mm-hmm. uh 
I've had young guys that come in that think they know everything. They're on these uh, just TPI exercises. They're not doing any like power, any fast twitch muscle training, any Olympic training or stuff like that. And, and that's just one aspect of saying working out. And then even with their swing, they get in their head, they can't do something, they're not going to do it. Those guys don't get any better, right? So if they don't want to learn, they're not going to want to learn. So I've had other young guys that come in and pick it up. I had Iz Hustler, he's uh, from uh, Barbados. He's in the, he was in the swing lab on Thursday, and that kid can change in a second. It's crazy, right? And, uh, and when you're dealing with better players and younger players that are working out and have communication of their muscles, mm-hmm. they have more communication of their body so they can make the changes and alterations a lot quicker. So when you start getting older people, if they don't have communication of their body, it's going to be hard for them to do something, right? And uh, so, for example, uh, when they're trying to clear... All right, impact. So oh, what's a big big problem is uh, extension through the ball. So everybody stands up through the ball. They take a video. They see that they're standing up. So the club's extending, mm-hmm. right? Their hips are driving forward, and they're not in posture anymore. They through goat the hump. Yeah, they goat hump, right? So what is... What is I'm a long-time goat humper. That's why... Not anymore, though. Not no, anymore. I don't goat so, hump anymore. So the, the big issue with that, and people will work on squat drills forever, but if you can never communicate to your glutes, like if we do a simple glute drill and you have no communication to your glutes, That's that right. means you're going to fire to your lower back. What does your lower back do? If you get your lower back to fire... If, it, if, if you get that to fire, it's going gonna, gonna to cause extension. You're no longer going to stay in flexion because the lower back is made to make you rise up, right? So if they can only communicate to their back and not their glute, you're making the small muscle do this big muscle's job, and it, its job is to make you extend. So now you're going to stand up through impact. So you're saying so, like the older guys that don't have – that are out of shape or they haven't – I love that phrase, communicating yeah, with their body. It's hard, like to, it's hard to get them to understand, the, to, to turn into their their butt their right butt cheek if they can't feel it yeah and they, and if they can't make that muscle fire so i got you to do a simple drill where you check like if you do uh if you do a glute exercise and the lower back's firing instead of the glute i don't care how many times you're doing a drill it's never going to work so mm-hmm. we got to do a couple exercises to get communication back to that muscle so once we get a firing it's atrophied and look at older guys most older guys they look like frogs their butts they're losing their butt you know what i mean they're walking around i lost There's my no, butt, yeah. my butt my, I don't, yeah. it's in the, it's a glassman thing yeah. i just look back there i've got like a long back with a hole at the end it's it's yeah there's a poster on there's a poster on queensway howard glassman poster on queensway i lost my butt have you seen it have you seen this man's butt but it's true a lot of guys get that and and um but back to the mental side, the frog like, thing. This frog image is yeah, so, I love it. Yeah, um, <laughs> and so many guys. I think what, what, I didn't want to lead you with the answer, but I've I've watched. Listen, I've been around this game a long time, and I've seen guys as they age. They just want it. They want to have an answer so quickly. On there, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I was saying to Timmy before he came in. I said, you know. I don't know if most people understood how much work it was to change this motion. I don't know that they would... Like, we all say we want to get better, but I don't know if we want to all want to do what it takes to get better. Yeah, see, I agree. I was, I was, I was eventually going to get there, so I was getting into that as well. So, uh, the willingness to learn, right? So, that's where I was starting with the young kid. Even if I have a young kid that's not willing to learn, if they don't want to learn, they're not going to learn. Right, like a coach, I can only offer information. They do all the hard work. It's what they do with it. They're the ones that got to learn it. I can't force it on them, right? And then, so with, yeah, with older gentlemen and even ladies, sometimes is they come in and if they believe they can't do it or talk to their body or they say, oh, I'm going to get hurt if I do this, and and really what we're actually trying to do, if you're at a good instructor or coach, is we're going to make you, you know, biomechanically more sound. You're you're going to be it's going to be less pain, effortless, more everything's going to work better. Mm-hmm. Right. What we do, if you're doing it right, it shouldn't hurt. Right. It's going to make it better. Early extension puts torsion pressure on your back. That's what causes injury. Right. So if we're working with the biomechanics properly, you're going to hit it better. You're going to hit it further and it's going to be more enjoyable. You're going to be able to play two rounds in a day, less pain. But when they come in and they assume, and I fight with this a lot of times, even with our members at Glencairn, they just think they can't do it or they think it's going to hurt them or they think. And, th- and to me, that's just an excuse. You could do it. I have a few, like Steve Corbett at the summit. I work with him. He's he was almost 50 when we started. He went from a 15 handicap down to he's like a one right now. And wow. he can drive the ball as far as I do. And Howard, you know, where I hit the ball, oh, right? Please. So people are saying, oh, I'm this age. I can't do it. I've seen people do it, right? He wasn't mm-hmm. working efficiently. had a big slide. He's hurting his back before. We tightened him up. He's working better. It's easier. He can hit it far at an older age, right? He doesn't work out all the time. You know, like he's... Uh, well, we yeah. played one round, uh, Tim, uh, Tim. Nick and I played a round toward the end of the summer and... You know, it was the round that we played uh, together on Mesa and I buried the last couple holes. But that day in particular, you know, like some days are just tighter than others. And that day in particular, it was like, 
I was just swinging well, but efficiently. And it took a long time to get to that point where you're making the move and it doesn't doesn't hurt as much and the ball's doing kind of like it wasn't even so much that I was hitting it great. I was just swinging like easily. And it all of a sudden I had this realization like I'm not I'm not in as much pain. I'm not sliding through the ball as I used to. It just but it took a long time to get there till till it became unconscious. My point about older people is I don't know that and again, I'm not just talking about the Isaac Lancaren, just guys we know in general, whether it's the mental side or the physical side, it's the not understanding what change, what real making real changes is is. Yeah, the dedication and well, learning the a new motor pattern, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Like uh, to me, like a lot of people will say, Okay, what in three lessons, what's gonna happen? If you took three lessons of piano, you're not yeah. playing Mozart Symphony, right? And no. How good are you really gonna be? And that's just a pretty, that's a more simple motor skill. That's really just your forearms and fingers. I mean, it's difficult. Don't get me wrong, those piano players out there. <laughs> but right. it's not Come a, on, Nick. Yeah. I'm, a, don't, yeah. I'm a 10 handicap piano yeah. player. Don't ambush us with thousands of emails, people. Even you, though, Tim just took a course, an improv course. And, um, you know, if you've never done that before, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's like there's the self-conscious part. There's being up in front of people part. All things that are unnatural. And if someone said, oh, Tim, I can show you how to do this in three times, you can't. No. It takes a while till you start to get comfortable. Your body feels normal, etc. And yet golfers will come up to people like Nick and, and uh, others and say, you know, a guy, I'm doing something. Can you just help me? And I've only, I've only got an hour. I got a, yeah, I got a NASA this afternoon, <laughs> and uh, you just got to help me. I'm pushing it right a bit because I'm tired of losing to this jerk. Fix me. But you want to? <laughs> I've always wondered about golf pros, and I'm going to ask Casey the same thing, and I'm going to ask Sheds the same thing. You have to make a living, and so how do you sort of reconcile the fact that we all know it's not going to be possible in three lessons or a package of five? It's a it's a project. But if somebody wants to pay you some money to give them a lesson, it's like, well, that's your job. Yeah, well, well it's, on, it's on the student, right? So whoever's coming in, it's, it's one of the first things we do is we just sit down and talk and what are your goals? So yeah. if they're just looking for a quick fix or a Band-Aid, a lot of people just play that way. That's all they want. Yeah. That's their enjoyment in golf is I want to try the new swing thing today and hit it. And, you know, if I hit one great shot flush, it's perfect. You'd be surprised how many people I talk to and you, I'll ask them, would you rather play the score really matter? Would you rather play a really good round of golf where your score is around par, but you never really hit a good shot all day? You just kind of scrambled it around. Or do you want to shoot 80, but you hit three perfect shots, and you'd be shocked how many people would rather hit, shoot 80 with three perfect absolutely. shots. Absolutely. Right? Really? And they just, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then you got the tournament players and the grinders that know that's not golf, right? Like, it's a, it's a grind. Find a way to get it in and, and, and play your ball, right? So it's... And how about the mental side? How important do you think... Um, how, what kind of impact? Forget the importance of it. We know it's important. What kind of impact can that have on um, a person developing, whether it's to be a tournament player or just being better in your Saturday morning game? So their mental game? Yeah. What can it have? Um, well, it's huge. It, it depends at a certain level. So at a lot of levels, I mean, you got to face you're, you're not good enough to choke. You know what I mean? Like that's a phrase I heard from someone before, and they're not good enough to choke, and it's for real, right? Like if, So if you're at a high level... And these are your shots. And if you if we chart your dispersion rate and what you hit, that is a normal shot in your realm. So don't tell me you choked on it. That's just that's part of your game right, right. now, right? Yeah. Now if you're at a at a high level, it's totally different. So when I coach the Humber team, like we're these best amateur players in the country, some of the best, right? Um, that have gone to play in the World Fisu games and that sort of thing is. Uh, now it's a little bit different story. So their mental game is huge and they all tick a little bit different. So as a coach, we're always trying to figure out what motivates them. Like you were saying before, some people, you know, can be totally calm and relaxed. Like I have James on my team. He's like, Coocher, nothing ever phases him. Sometimes I almost think it's a detriment. He doesn't get amped up enough mm-hmm. to make birdies. Yeah. Right? Um, but you got to figure it out. So a lot of guys, like we we travel to the States. We play two tournaments. We won. We went down to the States at the start of this this fall season we won both events down there they don't like it when we go down there and do that but nice and when we're down there we uh i, I with the new guys sometimes i'll i'll test them out so i'll put them under pressure i don't really care they're just a warm-up for our events right but uh for one one uh, player athlete in particular i went up and said you know he had a rough tournament the round before uh, he started out okay and then he just made a couple of three 
terrible bogeys that shouldn't have been bogeys in a row. So I just want to see how he handled the pressure, right? So I went up to him and go, okay, what's going on here? Like, you got to turn it around. Like, I really put it on him just to see how he responded. Oh, so right? you, you, just, you kind yeah. of went out of your normal way. Like, you were kind of acting oh, yeah. a little bit? Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. Not, normally, I'm more relaxed and yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty mellow guy, right? But I purposely wanted to see how he reacted. Because I have guys on my team, like, like Brenda, we call him Brenda on our team. I could go up to him and I could say, hey, listen, our team's playing terrible. You need to birdie. I had to do this to qualify for nationals one year we're out. You need to birdie three of the last five holes. you got to play the last five holes, three under. I need you to do this or we're out. We're playing that bad. Like, you got to get to it. And I know he can handle it. He's one of the few nowadays. Before we could ride everybody, this newer generation, you got to more massage. Oh, yeah. Them, Listen, man. Right? <laughs> I, I stood up last night in front of 150 millennials, and just the look on their face, it's like, all right, kids, just relax. They get very uptight. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, the question I have for you in terms of mental performance, though, forget elite players and high-level tournament players. What about the average guy, like the 8 to 12 to 15 handicap? And you've got some of them. I, I know the, some of the players that you teach at my course who don't who can make some mechanical changes. But Tim and I have had this theory now, 70 shows of we think that, that we could make a difference in some player's life. If you're a 15 handicap, just being better mentally, better planning, better course management, you could be an eight handicap without touching your golf swing. Yeah. What do you think of that? No, I agree. That's part of, uh, part of my coaching, right, that I do um, I, everywhere I go. So that's... Yeah, I agree 100%. So a lot of guys, just their course management. So yeah. even when we break it down, so with any, whatever level they are, um, I could show them their dispersion rates and where they're good and where they're bad. So it's just managing your game that way. If you're not good from 60 to 80 yards, you just don't hit it there. Hit lay up a little further back and you play. So that's course management. Or where's the fat part of the fairways? Um, is it worth hitting driver here? You're going to have basically the same club in and you're bringing in trouble, that sort of thing. So that's the course management. Um, thinking through, a lot of guys I find it takes them – once they hit one bad shot, it takes them five more bad shots before they regroup, right? right. So it's uh, yeah. it's talking through that of what, you know, no one plays a perfect round of golf. So when you hit a bad shot, if, we, if we're talking beforehand, us three are talking, go, before we go play today, you know you're going to hit a bad shot, right? I know I'm going to hit a bunch of them. Like Matt Kuchar says, I'm going to hit 11 bad shots. So you know it's going to happen. So when you're out there and you hit a bad shot, you get mad and angry and upset. You're kind of crazy. Like you knew it was going to happen beforehand. Why are you so shocked? Wait, wait a second. Yeah. That's crazy? <laughs> really? I mean, old Howard would have done that. Um, but a 14 handicap shoots uh, 87 to 90 or whatever. A lot of that, and Timmy and I were talking about this. I read this article this week about how um, even at a fairly high level, birdies matter less than not making bogeys and doubles. And so forget a, a 14 handicap who might not make a birdie at all. But if they could just make three less doubles, they shoot 85 or 84 versus 88 or 90. And I think that's kind of a big gap that's missing in a lot of instructions. What we've been talking about ad nauseum now for three years. You know, we our, our conversation, if you remember, sort of first began like, what could our show be about? And we used to say at the beginning of every show, we think we could take six shots off your score just by making some changes mentally. And I think, you know, with a lot of guys, they go, oh, if I could just hit it better. No, people hit it crappy. People mm -hmm. hit it crappy all the time. It's not about that. It's about how good your bad shots are, but also mentally, what kind of decisions you're making after you have a breakdown. Yeah, and mentally where you are, what state of mind you're at before you hit the shot. Uh, in class the other day at Hummer College, because I teach at Hummer College as well, um, we were discussing their games and what's going on. And a few guys stood up and said, like, what part really worries them? And they're like, three-foot putts. So they're terrified of them. So they're up there. And I'm like, well, that's you're never going to be a good player if you stay in that frame of mind. And that's a choice. So you're creating this paradigm that you can't make a three-foot putt. The story. And, yeah. Well, exactly. The story. What does it mean? Yeah. And yeah. if you believe that, you're going to make it true, right? So it's yeah. – and that's who you are. It's almost like an escape. Oh, I hit it great, but I can't make a putt. And now you're if you believe you're that person, you're creating this paradigm. You're creating that story. Gee, I wonder who you're talking about, Tim. Yeah. Uh, Nick, yeah. Nick gave me, like this summer, Nick gave me some shit at one point because he goes, I'm tired. He said to me one day, he said, I'm tired of hearing you hit 14 greens and three putted four times. Stop telling me no, that story. story is a bad story. Yeah. This, is the exact, this is the exact um, thing that happened with my golf team. So I coach the University of Golf golf team and you coach Hummer. So some interesting uh, similarities. So. It was after our second tournament. I had two guys who just kept walking. They would go like, I've missed, I've missed five putts within 10 feet. I can't putt. And I went, wait a sec. Do you understand how you're in a story? 
This, it has nothing to do with you can't putt. Just a putt hasn't gone in yet for you. But once you start to get yourself invested in a story, you're, you're kind of done. Because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and yeah. it just bleeds into all the rest part of your game. But why is that that golfers of all levels do this? You know, I, I, we've told this you know, anecdote in different ways for three years now, which is, you know, we all play with players that after, you know, the first couple of holes, they're fine. You know, there's an energy on the first tee with friends or at the start of a round. And I used to say, you know, the, the best... The best moments in golf are when you haven't teed off yet because you're you're nothing. You're having you're not over par. You're not under par. You're just there to play golf and quickly devolves into chaos the first time that person hits a bad shot. And then I've told you that one of the guys I used to play with a lot said, "Oh well, here we go again on the third hole." What do you it, mean, "here we go again"? In the story. In the story, and that's what it is. People bring their stories with them, not just in golf but in life. But golf really exposes that. As you say, I can't make three-foot putts. I three-putt too much. I'm a great player. If I, I'd be a really good player if only I could putt or only if I could do this. I agree. It's a choice of mine, too. So you said they're three holes in. So let's say they made three bogeys. Here we go again. Yeah. Right? Some, if you go back, especially these better players, I'm sure they've made three bogeys in a round and shot three under. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they probably start off birdie, birdie, bogey, par, par, birdie. So you, they have a good start. Now they can play well. So what's the difference if you went – Birdie, birdie, bogey, bunch of pars, then bogey, bogey, and then birdie, birdie near the end, right? And But if they go bogey, bogey, bogey at the start, now it's a bad round. Like, you could get those birdies after, right? Like, it doesn't oh, yeah. matter what the order is. But now they're putting themselves in the state of mind where, oh, here we go again, and they start making the story, right? And now they believe they're not going to play well that day, and they're not. And just like the three-foot putt, if we could get back to that, so we're talking about in classes. The way you guys are thinking now, like you say you're nervous over it. Well, nervous and excitement are the same feelings. That's right. So it just depends how you're analyzing it or how, you, how you're interpreting it. If, if your perception is you're nervous, you're scared, and you tighten up, you're never going to make that putt, and you've eliminated all your good putts. But if you're over that going, okay, I'm excited, you're feeling those butterflies just means you're ready. Yeah. Right? Because excited and nervous are the same things. Your heart rate races, little sweaty palms, right? Just think of it as excitement instead. That's right. Re reorienting or reconfiguring how you look at that. How you look at it, how you perceive that. It's not even pressure. I don't even like saying the word pressure. You're just excited to do well, right? And it's uh, so how are you going to do? So if you're now over it going, okay. Hey, listen, I've made, on the practice green, if you take all my stats, I make nine out, nine out of ten of these. And if you just stay in that frame of mind and you're feeling that excitement, not nervousness, you're going to make nine out of ten of them. But if you're over there going, oh, I can't make these or I've missed the last three and uh, you're getting all nervous and you're tight and you can see it in their body language, you know, as a coach, you can see it. They're tightening up, their yeah. shoulders are getting up, they're over it, they're kind of, they don't look the same at all. There's, they've just eliminated all their good putts. Or if they're on the tee, they've just eliminated all their good shots off the tee. So now they're, they're only bringing out their bottom worst shots, right? So it's, it's definitely a mind well, game. Well, our friend Paul, Paul Doolin uh, was the first person I'd heard this phrase, managing your state. Manage, and, and I realize now what he really meant was managing your story because that really is the big barrier, I think, for a lot of people in, in golf success-wise or in anything else success-wise. You know, in the work that you do with uh, the Mankind Project, that's what a lot of men go through. They, they have trouble managing their own state because they're going from one emotion to another emotion to another and always reacting as opposed to responding. Well, there's an underlying belief system, too, at work, you know, that if I don't make this three-foot putt, I'm a failure, or, you know, I'm going to look, I'm going to not perform for my bros on my golf team. It's, it's connected to a story that they have going underneath that, um, that if they keep doing this, they're going to, and that's where the anger comes from, is this loss of power. That they keep doing the same thing. It's going to keep happening and keep happening. I'm going to keep missing putts. I'm going to keep not being able to. I always screw up. I'm such a failure. This yeah. always happens to me. That is such the a story. great thing you said that. That's what I think what it is with human beings is that when we make a mistake for a second or two, we think, oh, well, well now we're always going to make that mistake. That's where the anger, which becomes resignation. Frustration. And, and that's why so many golfers lose uh, as a round goes on. They start with the sense of uh, they have these expectations and excitement, like you said, which is fear and joy together. That's how I see it. And things start to go sideways and then they might get angry. And then then it becomes actually it flips off and just basically into sadness and resignation and they lose focus and you can't play. 
Yeah, it's a blame frame. You know, yeah. blame frame. One of the things, and it's funny because I've worked with Nick a little bit off and on for since he came to Glen Karen a couple of years ago. I think early on, you kind of cut on that I was a bit of a golf nerd and. And I, I like to practice, and I love the golf swing. And we've made some good progress over the years. But one of the things you said, and it was a mental uh, conversation we had about about physically how you manifest your body in terms of your posture, in terms of your like. Talk about that. How you told me that just body language wise, you wanted me to. Um, explain that. Remember that conversation about like just the way you look on a tee and how you want the ball and how you look like you're striding up to it. Like I'm here for a reason. I'm here to beat you guys. Because I, I took me a while to realize after all this practice, I should be pretty good. Whereas I used to think, well, I've practiced so much, but I'm really not sure if I'm, I, I'm like, screw it. Yeah. I'm really good at this. And now watch me. Talk yeah, so, about that day. Okay. So yeah, we were talking about that. Well, especially for someone like you, this is what you do. Your radio. You're talking all the time. You're a comedian. You're very witty. You're very left brain. So you're always in your left brain, right? So you're you respond so quick. You're so witty. So, but a motor pattern. You're, we need to use your right brain, right? So we're doing now a motor pattern. So we got to get you out of there. But um, so that's one of the reasons for you why why you had a hard time with it at first. But now now you got it. And then even with my team guys, I want them strutting all the time, walking down. Right. It gets them now. So they're not thinking about the story of oh, I got to do this for my guys or my end score is going to be too high because now they're in the future right or i missed a couple putts back that's in the past but if they're strutting down the fairway head up things are looking up that's where the saying comes from i want their eyes above the trees they're looking up exactly. things are looking up eyes up so tits feeling, up yeah <laughs> they got feel their stride i always wanted to have a swagger when we'd show up like uh, one of my teams we won nationals by 38 shots <laughs> we showed up at Kamloops, bc and we we showed up and there was this long skinny putting green and all my guys were winning all year. They all had a strut to them. They walked with a strut. They walked with a purpose. And I told them, even especially when they hit a bad shot, you hit a bad shot, you strut down that fairway like it was nothing. Because you could tell who's winning a golf course and mm-hmm. who's losing a golf course just by their body language, just by how they're walking. So I always want them up feeling it because your body posture always power poses too. I always want their hands on their hips, never folded arms because it changes how you feel. It changes where you're at. And it just it sends a message too. It sends a message to yourself. It keeps you in that confident state of mind. It sends a message to the other teams too. So we went to this. We're in Kamloops, BC. It's a small, skinny putting green. We show up. We're a little bit later on the one practice round. Everybody's all over the putting green. My guys strut like you wouldn't believe. They're good guys. They're good players. They're hitting all these shots. All of a sudden, we notice we're the only ones on this half of the putting green, and all the other teams moved over to the one corner. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I think, like it was you just, took over. We just took over that putting green, and it was just because of the swagger. We would drop, they would just hit, and they go, and they're not meaning to do it. That wasn't their purpose, right? Right, and it's just. I think the confidence exuded off them, mm-hmm. and we end up winning by 38 shots, and that's how these guys were. And we, it took us a long time to get these guys in that state of mind, right? Yeah, it's yeah. such a it's, it really indicates the body mind connection. So when you're slumped over, let's say you've missed a putt, and someone's like staring at their shoes, the verbal part of the brain is going and going, and they may stuck in that you know the spiral vortex of death, as we call it. You know, oh, I practice, practice. If you stand up, you you. And you look in the trees, for example, your eyes are no longer connected to that verbal part of your brain. But also, if you're standing up straight, you have just better airflow. Mm-hmm. Your body is better. You have just better energy. It all just feeds on itself. So, yeah, I'm right with you there. I always tell my players I want them in kind of what I call warrior pose, particularly around the green or on the tee. You stand up on that tee like you own it. And I remember what Carl Morris would, said one time, the first time, when he was about 10 years old, he watched Seve Ballesteros walk onto a tee. And he says the way Seve walked on that tee was like he owned it. He, his, his neck was high. His stood, it was like he was 10 feet tall. And everyone who walked on that tee knew, there's Seve. <laughs> yeah, the, I just looked this up. I read this book. I, we've talked about it on the show before called The, uh, the Pressure Principle by Dave Allred. And he's the guy that works with uh, Francesco Molinari. Yep. He helped Molinari... I uh, started coaching him a couple of years ago, and the way he calls it, it's it's the command posture. And uh, that time we had that conversation, it kind of hit home with me because I'm like, you know, not that I would walk around like a, sh- a shrinking violet. That's not me, but I, I just wasn't. Howard, you're not a shrinking I violet know, ever, but, ever. But I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> sort of owning it. I wasn't. You know. I wasn't in a command posture. I was kind of waiting for something bad to happen. That's kind of how I used to look. And you weren't present. You weren't in the now. And I wasn't present. And then after that conversation, 
and and subsequently, you know, like well, Nick followed me around. I don't know three or four holes in the uh, the senior club championship, and it's one of my proudest rounds because I didn't start off very well. You know, I started off with four bogeys and five holes. It, I, I would, went from a three shot lead that I'd had for ninety days to being three shots down, like it was chaos. But but those next nine holes were some of the best I've ever played because I just was like, I'm cool with this. I've been four over after five before. I was so present to the fact that anything was still possible. Whereas an old pattern of mine would have been, I'm shooting 90, and I'll just slink out of here. Yeah. And you watched my, my uh, well, you watched me lose in a playoff the year before, but you saw me that day, and it looked completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would argue that's why it was completely different. Yeah. Because when you're walking down in the command pose, your head's up, you're now. You're feeling the grass beneath your feet, you're now. What is any good professional athlete ever say is when they're present in the now they're in the zone that's when they play that's right as long as i stay present it's going to be a good round yeah. so, where your body is yeah so you're feeling the wind you're feeling the grass beneath your feet you're pushing your chest up so you're experiencing that now that is present right that is right brain which we need to get you into because you want to be left brain you hit a bad shot and now you're over analyzing what you just did yeah. and talking now you're going left brain that's a spiral death you're going down the wrong tube right and now you're out of your body and you're trying to do a motor skill you're not playing chess here you're trying to do a motor pattern so you got to be all right brain right or at least more centered mm -hmm. right you're definitely always on more on the left side because of what you do right and what well but even in today's a, life we're all more well, left but side. there was a big yeah. difference the year to year oh huge, huge. how i looked yeah right. and how i felt because i was the really one you lost in the playoff you were out of it you probably you could have still hit a shot and you, you gave it to i don't want to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. oh you're repressing yeah. that, yeah. that i don't want to talk about yeah. that but that's I'll let you stand by my uh, my record in the majors. Yeah. <laughs> second, second, is, miscut first. But that is the challenge yeah. for most adults: is that they live their life in their left brain. That, that everything is intellectual. Pretty well, for most people, particularly golfers. You can argue that's the problem with the world today. We're Absolutely. all in our left brain way too much, right? Yeah, and, and so so it's hard, as you said. I love that phrase, Nick. You had communicate with their body. That. We lose that ability. That's why if you go say, um, you know, a bunch of women want to go with their husbands to say, learn how to dance. The women are can move around. The guys, like, they look horrible because they're so disconnected. Yeah, their from necks their, are all stiff. Yeah, yeah, but they're all disconnected from their bodies because they live their life in their head. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm going to connect to is that the body doesn't time travel. You know, if you ask somebody, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Yeah, they're in the past. Okay. What are you going to do this evening? They can think of that. But if, they, if you say, just breathe, just be in your body, you're in the now because the body doesn't time travel. Yeah. You know, that's, the way, that's the way you connect to the now. And that's a key piece I think that people miss is that the, the body has so much wisdom. And if you just let it do what it knows how to do, it, it can do amazing stuff. You know, in yoga, they always say, I was at yoga a couple times this week, and the instructor lady at one point, because, you know, you start to wander, you start to think, I can't do this, and what am I going to have for dinner? And at one point, she said quietly, now, because she could sort of see maybe I was struggling or whatever, she's like, okay, everyone, just remember, stay in the room. It's the hardest thing oh, yeah. to do, is to be where you are. Yeah, I agree. You know, I went on stage last night. Uh, at about 9.15 in front of 200 people in a darkened room in downtown Toronto. And just before, and I'd been studying, I was working on some new bits. And just before I went on stage, I said to myself, remember, I do two things. This isn't about you, Howard, because I want to get out. I want to make it about them. And I, I said, I took some, I was thinking about this yoga. I was saying, okay, I wanted to feel myself physically. And when I walked on stage, before I started talking, I put my stuff down and I kind of did that command posture like, don't worry, everybody. Everything is going to be fine because I'm in charge now. Because lots of times you go on stage, you're like, please don't hurt me. Because that's what it is. It's standing please up like for, me. Please, please like not, me. not only please like me, please don't hurt me. Because <laughs> you're not, because it's an unnatural thing to do. But I, even, even in that, where it's all left brain, I remind myself that physically I need to be here. Because then you start noticing people and what they're doing and and the next thing you know i'm doing some improv i've got this kid's jacket on i'm talking to his dad and it has nothing to do with my act but because i was physically there your eyes can see and that's what it is about golf is like you need to physically be where you are so that you can instinctively do what you need to do you know yeah and then and take breaks in between and realize when you're doing it. So what's your what's your mental game plan? So with with my guys, 
no one's perfect. You're going to be out of the room, so to speak, as you said. Yeah. In the, so when you're playing, you might go out of the room. You might be thinking about that last shot or the last putt. Like, geez, I missed this three putt. And you just got to recognize it. No one's perfect. I don't, the PGA Tour guys do that too, right? Oh like it's, so they just catch themselves, realize it. And that's part of being mental game plans, part of meditation focusing. And just like they say, it's like a cloud. You just let it pass by and then get back in your command posture or feel like you did on stage, right? Like just feel something now, let that go. Now that thought's gone. Now you've brought back all the good shots again. Whereas when you're going down that other way, you've, you're starting to eliminate your good shots, right? So, and do you have a mental game plan? My guys have a mental game plan. If this happens, what do we revert back? What do we do, right? If this happens, because most of us, and you guys were talking about, we live in brain frame world. We're in a cause and effect world, which is not even... So linguistically, how we speak and talk to ourselves is in a cause and effect world, which isn't even real. So uh, anytime something happens to them, this is how they're going to react, right? So if something bad happens to them, they get negative, they get bad. They don't realize they have a choice. You always have a choice. You can choose what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. like we said before, if, you're, if you have a game plan beforehand, you know you're going to hit a bad shot. Okay, you let that go. You revert back. Get yourself back into a normal state. Think, think this is a birdie hole, birdie hole on the tee. Get back into that positive state, right? Walk mm-hmm. down the walk down this fairway within your command post gets you back to a positive state but do you have a game plan if you if things are going the wrong way well i just did uh i just concluded two days of what i call exit interviews with my golf players and we kind of did a review of the season where they made progress where the gaps are and what they're going to do over the winter and it was really interesting to me is that the the key thing i became aware of is that with all of them the key thing that we talked about was awareness just where are you paying attention because so often you know on the golf course or in school or in different things they get they get transported from being now to they're in the story and if this happens and this happens and this happens and and spinning and all that and just so the key piece i said just be aware just take stock where am i now where am i paying attention does it serve me okay good if it doesn't serve me make a choice like you're saying and then respond to the way that where you want to pay attention so it's just it's being aware of that and unfortunately i think that what happens for so many people in a particularly a left brain dominated world they think that their thoughts are reality they, they just get caught in this spiral and they're off and next thing you know they drove home and they didn't know how they got home yeah, and they could have changed the channel at any time right change the story change the channel at any time if That's they right. chose to well as you said and i think we've made a good point in this uh, show today that you you really have a choice to react or respond and as you said, I was very reactive because that's what I do for a living. You know, it's like my whole yeah. my whole day. But I will say that uh, you know, over the course of a few years, and and through practice and through meditation and all sorts of stuff, that I find myself responding better, reacting less. Because also, you know, and and this is where I want to sort of finish this, because as your skills become a bit more reliable, because I'm I'm still hit tons of bad shots, but I I have a feeling of calm because I'm I can I feel like I can rely on my skills and so that's kind of the question I'd have is you know what part to our listeners who aren't maybe tournament players aren't like trying to be scratch golfers they're just middle of the road handicappers who want to have a better experience so what would you say of the cocktail how much physical how much mental like if your basics are horrible you're not going to be able to break 90 but if you have decent basics you can kind of hit the ball yeah, depends on the person. I know. I know you want a simple. It's a hard. Answer. I know it's yeah. a hard question. Yeah, d- depends on what level they're at, what their mechanics are, right? So fun- fundamentals are key, and swing mechanics are big, and people underestimate them. And yeah. even the basics. even yeah, there's certain things you got to do well. There's there's different ways to do to play to play the golf. There's different ways to swing, and with this set, you have to do these certain things. And if you swing a different way, you got to do these certain things, and that's fine. I'm not saying there's one way to swing, but. Um, you need certain mechanics to be good. And then their mental as well. If your mental game is absolutely atrocious, like it's, it's a combination, right? And it really depends where they are at, who's at what. So someone could have a terrible swing, high mental skills. They're going to get their score a lot lower, right? And they're going to be playing better. And that's why their handicap's there. So that person's got to work on their mechanics a little bit more. Someone else, I've had guys that have great mechanics, terrible mental game. Right. And they're still going to be 20 handicap. They should be tens, but they're 20 because it's all mental for them. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean? So it's... It's, that's a loaded question. I'm sure like you, yeah. you, I've played yeah. with guys. I, play, I don't play that much, but I played with a few guys this summer on casual rounds 
that were 15, 12, 13 handicaps that I thought, wow, this guy really hits it more like a five or a six. But he, but two things I noticed. I was playing with this guy at St. George's. I thought, okay, makes terrible decisions. Like he's trying to hit shots that I'm not trying to hit. And they turn into doubles and triples. And, and he gets angry. He, and I, I listen, I'm the, I'm the, the original, you know, meltdown <laughs> king. But I had a pro once say to me, actually Robert Dameron from the Golf Channel, once tell me I wasn't good enough to get as mad as I was getting. He said, you're not good enough to get this mad. And he was right. I just wasn't. Yeah. I don't think anybody is. Especially if you carry that madness to the next shot. Yeah. yeah. And not let it go you know? at some point. I was, like, I was like that classic, you know, two swings away from the day being over. <laughs> Total meltdown. Total yeah. meltdown. The day is done. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, there are extremes on both sides. Like you say, there's people who have decent swings that can't break 90. That's think. why you're doing the show. See, mental is huge for you. Well, right? it always yeah. has been. It's and uh, I'm so glad to finally get you in here. I mean, I respect Nick a lot for a lot of different reasons. He's very, very, he's a very good teacher. Oh, yeah. You know, I've watched him on the range. And I tell you, I've seen how the difference that you've made, forget me, but I've seen the difference you've made in some of the guys I play around with, Russ in particular. Guys that, like, honestly... You know, didn't really have much of a clue, and all of a sudden they're compressing the ball like a, like there's like a, a feel that they have now that that came from you, and a, you know, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. All right, well, I think that was great. Uh, did you did you enjoy coming in here? Did you have fun? Did you have fun? Did you feel blast? Safe? <laughs> um, had a blast. It's good. Did you guys? And I, and I know. Uh, we're almost done here. I know that you didn't watch the Tiger thing. You're like, I don't care about Tiger. Did you watch any of it? No, I, was, I missed all of it. I saw what happened at the end. I yeah, don't know if, I did anybody want Mickelson to win? Well, here's know. the thing. I did, yeah, I had, I, I, all the kids on my team wanted Tiger to stop. I, um, I watched it. I had to leave early because I had to go do a show last night. So I didn't see the playoff, which I thought was gimmicky. I read about it, but... Like, I don't know. Like I got a bunch of messages this morning, you know. I just think... It had some interest on late on you know whatever Thanksgiving in the states. They both played terribly. I mean, Mickelson actually hit the ball better than he normally does. He had a lot of fairways. But I, I read this morning someone said they were in mid off season form. Yeah, they were. They, was it? Yeah. You know, they didn't take it too serious. Well, what would they have shot? Was it, it wasn't good? Under par. Well, Tiger both, hadn't were, played since the Ryder Cup, and Phil hadn't played since sometime in October. Right, but taking uh, it very serious. But I will say this: Mickelson wanted to beat Tiger more than Tiger did. I mean, Tiger's made a billion dollars; nine million doesn't matter. I, I wish the golf had been a little bit better, but it was interesting to hear, even though he's not very talkative, to hear Tiger talk to Joe Lacava, to hear him talk over a shot. You know, I found that part interesting. Plus, Pat Perez. Uh, Charles Barkley, um, Samuel Jackson. It was kind of a cool. Oh, that, that is fun. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. You know, yeah. it was good. To, I don't really watch a lot of that stuff, so it was interesting. But, but it wasn't very good golf. Like neither of them shot way under par. I think they were both slightly, maybe one or two under. But the course was short. They both should have been deep, deep, deep. It was. <laughs> it wasn't very good. But it was interesting. And I'm, I, I'm curious that when the show's over, I'm going to find. I'd like to know how many people. You know, in Canada, it was twenty four ninety nine, and. Uh, the states it was 20 or 1999 it was interesting i thought that i didn't think there'd be a lot of interesting because i just wasn't interested and i i was kind of asking myself why why do i not care a lick about this and i think i rationalized that you know i've never been a big mickelson fan uh but it was interesting because i was at uh, cut and fields yesterday the the course where our team plays doing these interviews the restaurant was packed mm-hmm of people watching this thing and all the players on our team were over at one of the guys places and they were watching it. You know, they were all way into it. So, well, there's something there, but I guess maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as taken with the celebrity part of it. Don't know. I don't know. Well, I heard a great line. Someone said, uh, 1999, that's when they should have had the match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Nick Turquillo. Turquillo, is that how you pronounce it? Turquillo? That's it. Turquillo. Right. Turquillo. Got it. Uh, Nick Turquillo, the uh, head coach of the Humber Hawks, also available. What is the company that you have? It's called... Um, uh, Pure, Pure Impact. Pure Call Impact. Impact. Yeah. Uh, he's available for uh, lessons at uh, Glen Karen in the summertime, Humber in the wintertime. Here's a little trivia about Nick you don't know. Uh, I have a buddy of mine who's around our age who is a pretty decent fastball player, plays baseball in the summertime with his buddies. They just play like beer league baseball. And he had a terrible year. Two years ago, he couldn't hit at all. He wasn't hitting like 170 for the season. Hit it like a baby. And uh, one day, he was hitting golf balls with me at Glen Karen. And I, Nick came over. And we were just talking over a couple things I was working on. And he, his name is Jeff, and Jeff asked Nick about something. And Nick said, well, I also, 
instruct in uh, all kinds of hitting, including baseball. Cool. So we went to Nick for one lesson and had the best season. <laughs> I should show you some of the texts because he plays every Wednesday. Every Wednesday afternoon, I get a text. Dude, you wouldn't believe it. I was like three for four. I had nothing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, every time I say, <laughs> Nick, your, uh, your baseball buddy was all excited. Wasn't hitting for power, but he was getting on base all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we just, that's biomechanics. It's a distal acceleration sport, and any distal acceleration sport, how your body works is the same, right? So that's all I worked on is 3D. I didn't play baseball. I don't play baseball, so I'm not really a hitting coach, but I can make your body work better in 3D biomechanically, right? Well, so there you go. Very cool. Yeah. Very nice. Tim O'Connor, uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, uh, Humble and Fred Show. You can download the show. It is uh, perennially a uh, top download on iTunes, humbleandfredradio.com. By the way, I want to mention to you Swing Thought people, I, 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 we should really be more proactive. We would love for you to like our face, on, like our face, like our face page, <laughs> like our uh, Facebook page. That thingy. And download the, subscribe to our podcast. And review us and give us some commentary. You know, how we're doing, what you'd like to see, all that good stuff. That would be great. Thank you so much to our friends at TaylorMade Adidas. And, uh, Nikki, thanks very much for your help today. Have a great uh, Christmas holiday, New Year's season. And uh, and what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, email me at Glencairn on my cell phone. Want. All the information's on Glencairn. Excellent. There you go. All right, kids, coming up next, our uh, next uh, in this series, the winter series of Swing Thoughts, um, longtime instructor at Glen Abbey and uh, coach of a, a lot of great kids out there, Sean Casey will be joining us next time. feel all right when you hear the Step inside.